I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right, so I need hushed respect, please, for the words of the bard. (laughs) Oh, Billy shakes. Nothing but respect, as you can tell. (laughs) Okay. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Or would it, William Shakespeare, if that is your real name? (laughs) You're listening to What's in a Name, a show all about the exact thing I just said. I am James. And I am Anna. And we are a pair of etymology nerds who are interested in the history, illusions, evolution and use of names. Gosh, we are. That's exactly it. Yeah, I I thought a lot about making this succinct. (laughs) Okay. So Anna, you picked the topic for our first episode. So would you like to enlighten everyone? I did. So today we're looking at the names of emotions. Yes, and there are many emotions. I've looked at a whole Wikipedia list of emotions thinking, have I felt that one? Yeah, probably most of them. There are upwards of three feelings a human can have at any one time. (laughs) What, concurrently? Uh, Maybe, yeah, let's go with yes. (laughs) I'm going to claim that's science. We've both gone away and, and researched the etymology of the names of emotions. Pick your first emotion and explain to me, how did it get its name? Okay. Um, So the first word we're going to be looking at is schadenfreude. Ooh, I like the German ones. Exactly. So it's very exciting to go for a German word because um, it's one that you learn later in life. Um, (laughs) It's for me anyway. I mean, not being raised German, I suppose that's the main factor there, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So schadenfreude uh, comes from the German schaden, which means harm, and freud, which means joy. Um, I don't know that Sigmund Freud was particularly joyful, but interesting to note that that's probably where his name came from. So it's taking joy in harm befalling another. It's funny that you mention that because I heard a quote today that was something like, uh, tragedy is if I fall over. Comedy is if you fall into a hole and die. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh my gosh. See, this is the thing. This is why schadenfreude fascinates me is because I don't feel it very often. If I see someone else fall over, I'm just worried for them. <laughs> It's a really alien concept. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I felt it quite a lot when I was younger and more bitter, but I've, <laughs> I've, I've worked very hard on becoming a much nicer person over the last sort of 15, 20 years. And there will be stickers at some point for that, I have to believe. <laughs> you know I live my life waiting for sticker-based approval. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is one of the things I like about English, is that it's... It's really good at taking concepts from other languages and saying like, well, we don't have a word for that. So we'll just use your word. Like, I think, in fairness, schadenfreude is a German word. Mm -hmm. But no one would deny that it's part of the English language now, right? Oh, absolutely. Because we have a wonderful horror of a language that will just glom onto whatever words you can find. And that's why it's much more successful than, for example, French. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Absolutely. (laughs) Who have a special club set up to make sure that only the good words get in. Yeah, and it's really difficult to join as well. Mm -hmm. No, I really love the way we just sort of adopt and pirate words from everywhere. And words from our language get pirated elsewhere as well. I know French have been very resistant to that. L'Académie Française, isn't it? Are the ones who sort of police the French language and make sure that people aren't saying sandwich and weekend too often. (laughs) Le sandwich and le weekend, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. That's not allowed. I forget what the alternatives they came up with were because <laughs> they're not very memorable. Yep. Also, I don't speak French. Yeah. <laughs> is it going to be a problem that I only know one language? Uh, I don't think so. I only know one language. I mean, I say I only know one language. I know bits of lots of languages because, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm an etymology nerd and that's exactly. what we do. Exactly. It is. I mean, it's notable that you've brought along a German word mm-hmm. and I have brought along two German words. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sitting on a good Latin one for later. I'm looking forward to that, definitely. But so (laughs) I have a a similar concept in my list here. This wasn't one of the big ones I researched, but it was one I jotted down because I like it. And I've told Mm -hmm. you about it before. But for the benefit of our listeners who don't hear one of our other conversations, uh, the word is fremdschamen. It's like referred embarrassment that you feel on behalf of someone else. Cringe. This one, I do feel a lot. (laughs) Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's that feeling of cringe. Like when you see someone do something stupid, when they, you know, make a fool of themselves, possibly without realizing, and you feel inside like, oh God, as if it's happening to you. Yeah. Yeah. Just the the proxy shame of someone else messing up. Completely understand. Do you think the reason German... Like, because there's that joke, isn't there? Like, oh, there must be a German word for that. Mm. Partly that's because German has this thing where you can do, as in the case of of Schadenfreude and French German, compound nouns. So you just string a bunch of words together, right? Mm -hmm. Which our language does not necessarily benefit from. You maybe get two or three. German, you get like 10 in a row, right? It's incredible. I really need to learn more about that sort of thing because German compounds get so elaborate. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do we think the reason they like have these extra like like extra emotions, right? <laughs> sure. Because we felt these things. We don't have words for them until the Germans went, hey, here's a, you can have this. Yeah. So do you think that's to do with like the history of, of like psychoanalysis? That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Nah. So is is your point that um, psychoanalysis has given rise to better language for expressing these complex emotions or that the language for expressing these emotions has given rise to the psychoanalysis? Uh, definitely the former. Okay. I mean... Okay, yeah, potentially. It could be the latter. Maybe it's just easier to, to describe those concepts when the language is a bit more flexible. Well, this is the real chicken and egg thing with language that I'm fascinated with, and we've discussed this in private in the past as well. The idea that you can't fully conceive of something until you've got the word for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, yeah. you remembered what that was called, and I didn't. I did. And I told you what it was called. <laughs> and I've forgotten So again. I definitely know it, and I don't appreciate this scrutiny. I've put you on the spot. <laughs> James, what's it called? <laughs> Where's it gone? Oh, no. Uh, it's been a long day. It has. It has. Yeah, just edit it in, and in your voice, we'll put it into this sentence. Okay. That phenomenon is known as... The Sapir-Whorf hypothesis. And uh, is a fascinating field of study that I know a lot about. That was well recalled. I'm very impressed. (laughs) Thanks, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So professional. So I've got another, like, another German word that I jotted down. Sure, go for it. Which, since we're on the topic, I'm going to try and pronounce this. And my best friend is German, so if I get this wrong, she's going to kill me. Excellent. The word is Sehnsucht. Ooh, okay. It's kind of a, a yearning for an ideal experience, having a feeling about uh, an aspect of life which you feel is imperfect and unfinished. Mm. I was really intrigued that like they, they have a word for this. So is it uh, comparable at all to unfulfilled or is it more specific than that? It's along those lines. It, it, it tends to be translated more directly as sort of like yearning. Mm. And it's, it's like having an incomplete desire for something. Well, that's really interesting. 
it just it surprises me that there's this like such a specific concept like japanese does this as well it has words for quite complex ideas that are expressed in like really succinctly and and specifically yeah that we just we don't have in english absolutely absolutely and the the benefit of having um communication between these different cultures who have in a way grown up very separately that's how i feel about japanese is that it grew up separately from western culture um is that we have access to a whole new set of ideas and ideals i think we can learn an awful lot from that i agree um and usually refuse to do so (laughs) (laughs) well you know it's not English. We haven't got time for it, have we? This is very much a post-Brexit podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not think about that. Let's do another word. Can I give you one? Please do. So I chose ennui. Ooh. Because it came to us from Latin via French, which is always fun. Um, the Latin that it's from is an entire phrase. Mihi in odio est. Do not criticise my pronunciation. It's a dead language. I'm the boss of it, not the other way around. (laughs) (laughs) So mihi in odio est means it is hateful to me, which got abbreviated to in odio, um, which became ennui in the French and actually is the same etymological root as annoy. So although we associate it with a sort of um, listless, mournful, yearning, longing feeling, it kind of just means I hate it. (laughs) which is great i love it because we've given it all this extra baggage and now ennui means staring out a window through the rain yeah i was gonna say ennui has this sort of romantic quality that annoy doesn't yeah exactly (laughs) exactly which i think is fantastic and that that often happens with words that come via french is if it just comes straight from latin we have a much more mundane (laughs) meaning for it but you know once it's once it's been through a few been through a few other languages suddenly it's got this uh as you say romance I also like I associate uh, I like I hate it with, I, with a sort of very Gallic directness. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine great, I can imagine French people saying no, no I hate it. Mihi in audio est, aka man, this sucks. <laughs> I feel like ennui's ennui is one I I get a lot. I do enjoy the staring out of the rain thing. Yeah, I mean you've got to make space for that in your life. I think it's important. Maybe feels a bit self-indulgent it does it does you've got to do it when no one's looking if someone catches you doing ennui that's embarrassing <laughs> if they're just like uh oh, james you really look like you're feeling a deep unfulfilled yearning in the pit of your soul what's that about <laughs> i mean again there must be there must have been a word for this you know was angry because anglo-saxon is often seen as a very sort of base language well it is and it's germanic isn't it more than anything so but so like we we have this thing where the French words are sophisticated and the Anglo-Saxon words are not sophisticated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And actually that is uh, another area that I'm particularly interested in because it's given rise to double terminology which you hear a lot in the courts. Whenever there's a criminal charge there's the um the English word that will be understood by the layperson and the French mm-hmm. word that will be understood by the legal profession which is why we end up with like assault mm. and battery. So a, a similar situation one that like this is probably one that kind of ignited my my interest in etymology was being told like oh the reason we call like cows and beef different words Mm, yeah is because you know the the noble people were eating buff and um the the you know vassals were Mm. looking after cows yeah yeah absolutely Um, and that is um the root of a fascinating twin branch of terminology so you've got pork and pigs and 
Chicken, interestingly, is still chicken, but you do have poultry, which will be from poulet, won't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. And like I say, that was one of the first kind of linguistic distinctions that I remember hearing and thinking like, oh, this is something I can devote all my life to, <laughs> to being nerdy about. Oh, that's your origin Shortly. story. That's so cool. Pretty much. Do you want to hear mine? Of course. When I was in year six, I uh, my teacher started talking about suffixes, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, um, is there any link between the word import and important? Because we were talking about imports in geography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked her this and she said, I don't know. That's really interesting. I'll find out. And she never did. <laughs> so I had this question hanging over me for the rest of my school career. Is, is import something to do with important? It must be. And of course it is. And I've looked it up since. And it's just one example of the ways in which seemingly unrelated words in English have common ancestry. And I think it's neat and it's like a game you can play with language and you can deconstruct it like a puzzle, put it together in interesting <laughs> ways. Ah, so this you've brought us nicely into a segue for my next emotion here. It's almost like it was intentional. It wasn't. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> this is quality broadcasting. We're keeping I all know, this in. isn't it? It's great. So I almost avoided this because I was like, this is so obvious uh, a word to look at. We'll probably both go for it. But I have looked at the etymology of happy. Did you do that? I didn't. Go for it. There we go. So, happy comes from the old English word hap. 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 Yeah. Hap. You know, hap. As in, what's the haps? Exactly. No, you joke. You joke. But it is exactly (laughs) as in, what's the hap? Fuck, I love words. As in happen. Mm -hmm. As in mishap. As in mayhap. As in haphazard. All these hap words all mean the same as happy. And that's because... Happy originally meant by serendipity or chance or an unforeseen occurrence. Oh, wow. And I don't know about you, in my experience, being happy is definitely an unforeseen occurrence. (laughs) Oh. And apparently a lot in a lot of different languages, the the word happy originally meant lucky. Um, An exception I discovered is Welsh, where it originally meant wise. Nice. Oh, go on, Wales. Listeners, I live in Wales, and although I don't know Welsh, I have a love for the language and for the people, so always keen to learn more about that. So I hope I've taught you something about Welsh there. You have, and about the haps, which is vitally important knowledge I will be telling everybody about until they are sick of me, so (laughs) mission accomplished. Yeah, again, like like you say, it's really interesting to discover, like, oh, all these words have similar... They're cousins. Similar roots. Yeah, they're all cousins. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. You don't really think about it at the time. You're just like, yeah, that's a similar syllable. But actually, it's it's all it's all one big family tree. Um, have you ever heard of the phrase, happy as a clam? I have. Do you know why clams are happy? I don't. No, because that doesn't make any sense, right? Why would clams be happy? I mean, they don't have a job. That seems pretty sweet. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't have much for you. If your employers hear that, you may not have a job. Oh, no. <laughs> I love my job. I'm so happy to have work. <laughs> Yeah, happy as a clam to have a job. Which doesn't work because clams don't have jobs as we have established. (laughs) Why are they really happy? Lay down the truth. Give me some facts. Clams are happy because the phrase originally was happy as a clam in the mud at high tide. Oh. And that was because at high tide, clams could not be dug up and eaten. That makes total sense. And of course, because we're inherently lazy and idioms get shortened over time, uh, we just completely forgot about the circumstances under which a clam would be happy and assumed them to be just deliriously gleeful all the time. We misrepresented shellfish. Bad clam erasure, that's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Very harmful to the clam community. 
That's that is going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> oh dear Lord, we're going to get an awful lot of interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you like to move on to the part of the podcast where we make up new words? I very much would. This was your idea, and I love it. I'm so excited. I get to make up emotions. I am as unto a god. <laughs> We're going to be like the uh, German psychoanalysts of the turn of the century. We've only got two, so may I start us off? Please. So the first one uh, is hyperdiarism. Go on. Hyperdiarism, which is where you realise that you don't actually have any free days off coming up because you've booked everything <laughs> everywhere. And there's a sort of there's a sort of social vertigo when you realise just how many things there are to do and how little of it involves sitting in your pyjamas and eating crisps. <laughs> I feel like this is drawn from life. Uh, yeah, no, I realised I was double booked for Saturday. But it's fine, I've sorted it, everything's fine. But I did have to get out the Filofax and move some things around. Which <laughs> is not the sort of person I ever thought I'd be. <laughs> Mainly the only of a Filofax. Well, I love the Filofax. I mean, you can't fight stationary, there is nothing better. But um, somebody who uses a Filofax, that came as a surprise. <laughs> I mean, not a bad problem to have. No, no, not a bad problem to have. I'm very lucky, but... I also would quite like to just go back to playing Stardew Valley for several days. <laughs> so does hyperdiarism suggest the existence of hypodiarism? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Yeah, logic, sort of... logically it must. And as we all know, languages are very logical. Isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one that I will be using. Okay. Um, so I was thinking how there aren't many words like, you know, when someone says, I'm feeling sexy. Sure. There aren't. I don't think there are many feelings that end in Y like that. Ah, okay. Like, or S-Y specifically. Like, happy, sure. Angry, sure. The one I've got, the one I've come up with, it's a nice little pun. It is spexy. <laughs> and I know it sounds like someone who is hot while wearing glasses. It does. Which is basically everyone. Both of us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it means the feeling you get when you realize how tiny you are in the universe oh when you feel like a speck oh that's good because you've got some perspective exactly <laughs> and it is it's spelled s-p-e-c-k-s-y so it'll I be really, really like good that. in scrabble too i also really like that i can never tell if i'm doing a pun or doing etymology it <laughs> Sometimes really depends both. yeah i don't always know until afterwards <laughs> <laughs> So that's my that's my one. Spexy, that's good. As the as the understanding of the universe grows, this feeling will only become more relevant. <laughs> very true, very true. I reckon since you've got four, you should go again. Ooh, again. Mm. Uh, does that mean I have to do all the bad ones? <laughs> uh, yes, and we can edit them if you want. Perfect. Because you're doing the work. <laughs> one of the other one, one of the other ones I've got is um, so this again drawn from my own life. Mm -hmm. I was sitting there thinking. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure I've got any ideas for this. And I thought, well, that's a thing, right? Not having an idea. Sure. So we have clueless. Clueless doesn't, clueless implies a lack of understanding, right? Yeah. What I'm, what I was thinking of, something that implies total empty headedness, just, you know, tabula rasa situation going yeah. on up top. Mm -hmm. The word I've come up with, ischemia, <gasps> Ooh. which is to have the feeling of having no ideas. I love that. Writer's block has been far too crude for far too long. Ischemia is much more elegant. There we go. And that makes it sound like a medical condition and therefore cannot be criticised in the way writer's block often is. 
I know people who are going to sign themselves off work with that. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to come down with a terrible case of ischemia and stay home. Can't say I blame them. (laughs) I really like that. Is that the one you said you're going to be using? No, this is this is one that I sort of tossed off and then thought "Mm, I can do better. Well, goodness me, it's a high standard. Okay. A lot of pressure for next time. This time I refuse to feel any pressure. (laughs) So what's your next one then? So my other one is Utropia. That sounds good. EU, of course, from Utopia. You, you, anything <laughs> just means sort of um, a beautiful or perfect state. Mm-hmm. But tropia indicates a sort of dissonance or disorder. So eutropia is the feeling that things are going too well and that calamity must be imminent. <laughs> Now that is something I can get a lot of mileage out of. That is, as the kids call, a mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, where does the tropia suffix come from? In isolation, it just means a, a disorder of the eye. But um, what tropia means as a suffix is a turn or deviation from normal. Okay. Usually medical, to be honest. Yeah, usually so. medical, but not always. We could consider it medical. It could be a subset of anxiety. <laughs> it definitely sounds like a subset of anxiety to me. <laughs> it does not, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, what's the what's the root like language of, of tropia? It'll is be it Greek, Greek? Of course, Greek. Surely, yeah. for medical stuff, it's always Greek. And I think I think you from EU, I think that's Greek as well. So it's at least consistent. I mean, I don't have any problem with Greek slash Latin hybrid abominations. Yeah, no, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a very impartial assessment. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely, I love all the monstrous bastardizations that our language comes up with. (laughs) Telephone. Television. Telephone. Yeah, yeah. Embarrassing, frankly. Okay. Is this the start of our crusade to purge the language? <laughs> yeah, to normalise normalise the language by removing all of the the Greek Latin hybrids. Well, at least it's more ambitious than just taking an L out of traveller and a U out of colour. Yeah, have that, Americans. Yeah, <laughs> suck it. <laughs> Niche verbal slapdowns from Anna. <laughs> okay, so th- this is good because my favourite one that I came up with, which I'm now going to tell you. Mm-hmm comes from greek and it gets there via a very long journey that i will now explain at punishing length yes <laughs> yeah you, you get to not talk for a while <laughs> i'll just drink my hot chocolate you're familiar with the word nostalgia right mm-hmm. and are you familiar with the etymology of nostalgia not as such although i can piece it together a little bit can you okay so see how far you get okay well alger as in my alger mm-hmm. and so forth is to do with um <sighs> Yeah, now I give up. Uh, there you go. So you were you're <laughs> on the right track. I got nowhere, mate. I got so, <laughs> nowhere with that. Well, an algae is a, is a pain, mm. right? Um, yes, neuralgia. Yeah, neuralgia. That's exactly what I've got written down here. Neuralgia. Yes. Neuralgia being pain in the nerves, mm-hmm. and then you have like fibromyalgia, which mm-hmm. is a pain in the fibros. Yes, I assume a, a right pain in the fibros. <laughs> And so the other half of that is nostos, which is a concept from like Greek epic poetry, and it means the journey to return home. Oh, really? They have a word for that? And specifically, it's the journey that a hero goes on after their sort of victory. Yeah, Um, sort of Iliad bit. Exactly, the Iliad bit. Nostalgia uh, was coined in 1688 by Johannes Hofer, Herfer? a Swiss medical student, um, okay. to describe the psychological condition of having a longing for the past. And that's why we get nostalgic about things. Because it's, you know, the... Painful desire to return. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's beautiful. Which is beautiful, right? However, when I was researching that, 
I discovered that nostros in Greek is paired with another concept uh, called kleos, mm-hmm. which is the the eventual victory of the hero returning home to receive their award from the society they left behind. Okay. Um, so I have taken that concept and combined it with algia to form a concept which I call kleosalgia, which is the pain of getting what you want. Oh, that's bittersweet. Yeah. Mm. And so the way I envisage it is that it would be, for example, returning home to discover that things aren't how you left them. Or if you spend time completing a sort of long task, it's the emptiness you feel when the task is gone. For example, people who spend all their time planning a wedding, they have the wedding. Afterwards, they're depressed because the wedding's gone. Mm. That's Cleosalgia. Well, that's lovely. That's really helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we really have a word for that, but it's definitely a thing. No. And now we do have a word for that. I've gifted that Beautiful. to humanity. It will be your legacy, Jake. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> and not any of the dreadful things you've said or done. <laughs> Good. I've, I felt like I went on a real journey with that one. I think you did. I'm very impressed. So where would you like to go from here? I mean, I have one more. I feel like Cleo Selge is a, a better place to end it than my last one, which is Podspicacity. Podspicacity. Okay. Um, the ability to detect feet. <laughs> That's what that is, right? That's a better definition for the word. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> Go for it. What so, have you got? The, the way I had it was, it's the delight you feel when you learn something from a podcast. Ah, oh, I love it. No, I think that's a fitting end. <laughs> there we go. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we hope you enjoyed learning about words with us. Maybe we'll be back in the future. I hope so. They seem to go pretty well. Yeah, I think so. Um, and if we're doing a proper podcast sign-off, uh, go buy a mattress. <laughs> I, I don't care where from. I'm, you know, not a sellout. So they're just good things to have. Yeah. Every house should have a mattress. <laughs> At least okay. one. I've got two mattresses. I'm living like a king. Oh, my God. Princess and the pea over here. <laughs> um. If you'd like to like to find us on Twitter, I am at James Hunt. I am at Boots Magoot. Thanks for spending your time with us. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. And now we stop recording, right? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.